Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. You are using the Bibles there in the chairs in front of you. It's on page 682. Our theme for this year for our church is investing for eternity. With Resolution Sunday last week, we kicked that off, appreciated so much the, the ministry of Dr. Bob Jones and the emphasis on eternity, that we would live with eternity in view. And as we discussed this theme on our pastor's retreat, just before our men's retreat back in October, uh, one of the requests, recommendations from our pastor was to, pastors was to take a few weeks and emphasize this, that, that we focus on areas that we would be able to apply this. And so that it's not simply a, a banner that's hanging in the lobby and then we kind of move on and forget all about it and become uh, oblivious to it being there, but that we would really think how are we investing for eternity, that we would have an eternal vision. In 1910, two surgeons wrote about a successful operation that was done on an eight-year-old boy who had been blind since his birth. He had had cataracts, and cataract surgery over 100 years ago was much different and much more dangerous than it is today with the modern technology. And so when the bandages were removed from his eyes, he, he really had perfect vision. But when a hand was raised, was raised and then waved in front of his eyes and he was asked what he saw, he responded, I don't know. He only saw varying degrees of brightness. He could see light, but he didn't understand what he was seeing. And so, so they encouraged him to reach out and touch that hand that was waving and he exclaimed, it's moving. He could feel it move. The light and eyes were not enough to give him sight. He needed more to have perception. Arthur Zayens, a professor of physics and the author of the book Catching the Light, discussed the important developmental aspects of various times in life, the senses and, and motor skills and how they develop and how they're formed. And he indicated that if the early opportunities are lost, trying to catch up can be hugely frustrating and often unsuccessful. And then he wrote concerning that surgery and what had been expressed by those doctors that was done in 1910. He said that with the ability to do cornea implants, cataract surgeries and all, a person who's been blind from birth may suddenly have function in their eyes but having eyes and seeing light are not enough to give sight. And so as one of the sur surgeons that did that surgery concluded, he said, to give back sight to a blind person is more the work of an educator than a surgeon. Zayens added, the sober truth remains that vision requires far more than a functioning physical organ. Without formative visual imagination, we are blind. 
I, I found that concept of education providing and necessary for physical sight to be fascinating. I also thought it creates a whole other dilemma for the evolutionary theory that somehow all of this happens by chance when there's an educational process that needs to take place. And that's actually the, the topic of Darwin's Black Box, a book that is written dealing with that. But I thought, how much more is that true when it comes to spiritual sight? That there needs to be a growing, there needs to be what we would refer to as illumination. The, the Holy Spirit giving sight to those who are spiritually blind. Because without spiritual awareness, we are all blind. 2 Corinthians 4.18, the verse that Dr. Bob used last week, says, Well, we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. How do you see what can't be seen? It takes spiritual sight. Spiritual sight is not simply what we see, but it's how we view it. How do you view life? How do you look at the world around you? How do we set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth, as we're told to do in Colossians 3, 2? How do you develop a vision for that which is eternal, of things that are not seen? That's what I want us to consider from this passage here in Matthew chapter 6. The, the context of our text this morning, the verses leading up to it, really the theme for, our ver, for this year is Matthew 6.33. The context of this lays out where, how it comes to that point. Now, we briefly considered this passage back in November for our, our special debt retirement offering, our, our Sacrifice Sunday. We saw how this passage highlights that behavior, that what we're laying up, it, it highlights our affections, what catches our eye, our vision, and, and our life commitment, the master that we serve. The areas that we considered back then are there are competing treasures, there are competing visions, and there are competing masters. And the key verse in this, this passage is verse 24. It, it's the, the verse that really gives us the understanding because verses 16 through 18 are bringing us into that. They actually focus on worship. It discusses genuine worship. And we're not going to read all of this this morning, but I want you to have an understanding, kind of a, a lay of this text to see where it's going. And, and so as, as our, our Lord is teaching, this is the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing them, the religious leaders, about how they're fasting. He says, you're doing it for show. He's saying, don't worship simply out of ritual. And, and often there's that ritualistic worship. You know, checking the religious box. I've done that. And that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees would do, and they would do it so other people would notice. I, I want you to see that I've checked this box. And so he's saying, you know, do your fasting in a way that doesn't draw attention to you. Don't simply do it out of ritual. One of the challenges in our day is for recreational worship. We want what's convenient, and it's really expected to amuse and entertain us. Well, that was fun. But the truth is, if our heart wasn't right, if our heart isn't in tune with God, it, it doesn't matter whether we get warm feelings or an emotional jolt. We're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. You know, if, if there's a lump in our throat or a tear in our eye, it doesn't neutralize bitterness in our heart or sin in our life. 
So we're to come before the Lord in spirit and in truth. The emphasis is on real worship, which is rejoicing. There is a joy. There's a reverence. There's a reflectiveness as we consider how does this apply. And there's a desire for spiritual refreshment that comes through the Word of God. And so that's where this passage is bringing us. So verses 19 through 23 flow to verse 24. Verses 25 through 34 flow from verse 24. And we're going to see that as we read this passage in the first word in verse 25, therefore, or for this reason, and the rest of the passage focuses on that, that where are we going to place our trust? So I give you that context as we come to this passage. Now, if you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money, wealth, the idea there. Therefore, verse 25, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that you would impress your word upon our hearts. Help us to be receptive in hearing it and applying it personally. That as we look at the coming weeks and months and this year, that we would live for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In this passage, there's an emphasis on the need for an undivided commitment to the Lord. Jesus says, if you really want to find out if you have a single focus, let me talk to you about your wealth, what you treasure, and your worry, our anxieties. Because what we treasure and what we trust tend to reveal where our heart is. Are we distracted by material things, the the things of this world, the wealth, or are we distraught by mental distractions of worry? And what we see in this passage is the purpose of life is not the accumulation of wealth, but the approval of God. That we would live in such a way as to hear, well done. As we understand God's purpose for our lives, then it really helps us to order or maybe reorder our lives so that we live in such a way that we have eternity in view and we're seeking His purpose. 
You know, putting, putting God's work and His righteousness, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know, what He wants as our priority will impact then our decisions. You know, it, it kind of brings us to the philosophical question, why are we here? And as a Christian, our, the purpose question, what is the purpose of the Christian life? I mean, why, why are we still here as Christians? You know, why doesn't God just take us to heaven once we're saved? So obviously there's a purpose. What is that? And, and I've, I've shared with you before, different Christians answer that different ways. Some may say, well, the whole reason we're here is to win souls. Others might say, well, we're here because we're here to encourage believers. Some people may live in such a way as they say, well, my reason for being here is to please myself. Now, I don't think anybody would actually say that. But some do live that way. And, and sometimes they're, they're choices, and you hear it presented, well, you know, in Christian liberty, if you can't show me a verse that says I can't do this, then I can do whatever I want. Well, actually, Christian liberty is so that I can, in love, serve one another. Don't use our liberty as a cause of license, is what Galatians tells us, but to serve. And that we would live in, and so our desire is that I want to grow in holiness. Or maybe the reason is to live to the glory of God. And I personally believe that is the reason that we're here, is to live for His glory. And in doing so, then we will seek to win souls. We will share the gospel. We will seek to encourage others. We will bring that Christian liberty into a proper perspective of how can I, how can I advance the kingdom of God, His purpose, and His righteousness. And so we seek to live so that God receives the glory in what is done in the church, and to Him be glory in the church, as we considered in Ephesians, and in our own lives personally, which means we live really with the prayer of verse 13 here in this passage when Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we pray, Lord, we want your cause advanced. We do it in your power and we do it for your glory. And so the first thing that we see then in this passage is what you treasure is determined by your perspective on the values of life. The, the stockpiling, that's verses 19 through 21 as, as we considered this in earlier, but it says do not lay up or treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. And that word treasure is repeated over and over in that passage, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but treasure for yourselves, treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Five times in three verses, the, the Greek word for treasure, translated treasure or lay up, is brought out in those. And, and what it gives us is there are, there are two locations, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. There are different substances. There's the material and the spiritual, and there's the duration, the temporal and the eternal. And, and so the lesson for us is do not unite your heart too closely with that which is temporary. We can use material things for spiritual purposes, but really the things that we have are either going to be tools or they're going to become idols. And it depends on what we're investing for. Are we investing for eternity? 
Our perspective is how we see it. Do we, do, do we develop spiritual sight? You know, that's a challenge in this world. And we, we live in a world that we're, we see the material, and, and the things that we don't see are eternal. And even as we see people, it's easy, you know, we, we focus on what we eat and drink and wear. And yet, Christ is telling him life is more than that. There's a, there's a spiritual component, not simply the material. There's the immaterial and the material, and, and the material passes away. And so the passage tells us it can be stolen by thieves, it can be decayed, it can be destroyed. It, when we die, it will be left behind. And, and so Jesus is telling them, don't worry about all of this and what you wear. Now, in that day, garments were, would represent significant wealth. If you had a lot of clothing, and by a lot, it would be less than we tend to have, that would really indicate wealth. They didn't have closets stuffed with clothes that, as Pastor Nathan reminded us on Wednesday at our prayer meeting, that we aspire to one day get into. You know, it's hanging there, and someday I may wear that again. They, they didn't have that. And, and, and the understanding is we really do need to have spiritual aspirations, that cause us to set our focus on things above, investing for eternity, to serve the Lord and to serve Him by serving others. But our focus is not on serving them, it's on serving the Lord. Because people will let us down. Things will will perish. I mean, people disappoint us. And yet our labor is not in vain in the Lord. God is not unjust to forget our labor of love. And so we have to be careful that we don't get our hearts too attached to the things of this world that we don't really long for heaven. And so we we have to understand that our our treasures determine our perspective on the values of life. Secondly, what we treasure determines our pursuits and priorities. Verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make this the priority. This This is the importance of that spiritual vision. You know, we, we, call, we live in a world that calls us to invest in it. And the more we invest in this world, in the things of the world, in our time, attention, our affections, our treasures, the less we're investing in the treasure of things that, that God treasures. You know, and, and it's, it's necessary to keep the proper perspective on life. Years ago when our, when our kids were much younger and we were visiting uh, my wife's family, her parents in New Jersey, one day I was looking through the newspaper they had and, and I found a coupon uh, in their local paper for a, an amusement park there in New Jersey. And it was a good amusement park. They had good rides. And it was, you know, buy one ticket, get one free. And so I thought, this is good. So we, we went, we took the family, we, we went to the amusement park and, and I found out, I, I found myself parting with more of my earthly treasure than I wanted to, even with the coupon. But we, we had a great day. And we ended up on one of those rides, Christopher and Tim and I, we decided to go on one of those rides that are designed to to twist you around, uh, turn you upside down, and to do all of this at a high rate of speed. Um, I I like roller coasters. I really don't enjoy those rides anymore. Um, Rides that are designed to cause me to lose my lunch are not my favorites. And this was one of those. And, And so we waited in the line for a long time. And then they strapped us in. They brought down the harnesses. They brought on the straps. I mean, you could not move. And so we're strapped in, and then the platform disappears, and they tilt you up, and you're looking at the ground. 
And, and then the ride starts and you're watching the ground until they decide it's time for you to look at the air for a few moments until they turn you back. And, it's, and the whole ride goes like this and it wasn't real long, but I'm being flipped over and I'm, I'm just assuming the engineers, do, they controlled where I looked. I really did not have control over where I was looking because I'm strapped in, I'm in a harness, and if they tilt it up, I'm looking at the ground. If they change the angle, I'm looking at the sky, if my eyes were still open at that point. But they were the ones who were determining where I looked. And, and in our culture, it wants to determine where we look. You know, you can learn some valuable lessons in an amusement park. The lines are long, the rides are short, and the price is high. That's kind of how life is. And, and it's not wrong to enjoy the pleasures of this world. But we have to be careful we don't treasure them. That that's not what we're setting our affection on. Because our culture really does want to control where we look. And it wants us to set our affection and our minds on things below. When as believers we're to set our affection on things above. Don't allow the culture to engineer where you're looking. Allow God's word to determine that. And remember that in light, the light of eternity, this life is short. This ride is short. And we're all going to spend somewhere forever. And so the heart learns to treasure what it sees. That's why we have to develop a spiritual vision. So verse 22 talks about the, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. And, and the idea here, well, what's a good eye? Well, the next verse kind of expands on that. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it's the comparison there that, that we need the light of God's Word the light of Jesus Christ, as the choir sang, he is the light of the world. We need the lamp of God's word to guide our feet. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Do we allow God's word to come into our life? When I, when I was pastoring in Maine, we went through a building renovation project. Our, our building had been purchased before I came, and, and it had never been finished. It was not constructed as a church. It was actually constructed as a tractor sales and service center. And then it was bought out by a, a fitness center. And so they had renovated part of it, but we needed the other part. And so as we were going through that, one of the nice things about the building was that the entire structure was on trusses. So the only support was on the outside walls, and the trusses went all the way across. So we could remove any interior walls. And part of our plan was to develop a, a fellowship hall. And I, I said, now, I do not want this dark. See, in, in Maine, in the winter, the, the sun sets before 5 o'clock. And, and it doesn't rise until late. It's like, I, I really thought they needed to move Maine into the next time zone over. And, and, and they never took me up on my suggestion for some reason. But I said, I don't want this room dark. And so as our, I was talking with our architect, I said, look, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I need light in this room. We don't have any windows. It's not any out in exterior walls. I said, can we get skylights? Well, the trust has made that a little bit of a challenge. And he said, well, we can, you know, we can open it up all the way to the, the roof, but you're going to have trusses. I said, I don't want the trusses going through. 
I said, there's got to be a way to design this. And we went back and forth, and finally he, he, he made us, I think he, we over-engineered it, but it worked. As these skylights would go up probably 15 feet, but that room was bright. And, and it was really cheery to walk in there. We had multiple skylights with the light coming in, lighting up that room. But there would be times in Maine when I would walk in there, and all of a sudden it's dark. And it's during the day, and I'd look up, and there's a foot of snow on those skylights. You know, skylights only work if they're clear. God's Word only works if it comes into our life. What is it that clouds over the, the skylights? You know, if, if it's obscured, how great is the darkness? Jesus admonishes his disciples that as he's teaching them, how can you not comprehend? How can you not see what I'm telling you? And he refers to others. He says they have eyes, but they see not. If we're not careful, the things of this world, the the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life, as are referred to in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, can cloud our vision. They cover that skylight. And they, they cover that spiritual vision. Or they become like that cataract on our eye, on our spiritual eyes. You know, it's easy to take sight for granted until we lose it. And and to understand what what it would be like, and we take that for granted. Those who struggle with visual impairment do do not take that for granted. A number of years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was with a friend of mine, and we were at a sandwich shop. And as I was sitting there, all of a sudden I felt something hit my chair the leg of my chair, and I glanced down and I saw the the tip of a red and white cane. And I realized there was a a person who was visually impaired using that stick to guide their way through this restaurant. And as I saw that, I thought, how difficult that must be in a town like Washington, D.C., you know, where some of the streets, there are, the bricks are uneven because of roots. And, and even with the roads, if you're crossing, you, you have the, the audio countdown of how many seconds you have left to get across the street. But there's no buffer zone. When that, when that time is up, that light changes. And a lot of vehicles time because they can see the countdown as well. And so they time when they're coming through that, that light and they don't stop. I thought how difficult it must be in a town like this to have that visual impairment. But you know, there are far more people in Washington, D.C. who walk around spiritually blind than physically blind. Oh, they see the physical world, but they have no spiritual perception. Because the unsaved person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He can't comprehend them because it takes spiritual sight. And and it takes the Spirit of God giving that. In fact, what we see, they consider foolish. That's why our position on marriage and gender, that God created male and female, there are two. And and we say that, and and they, they would think that's foolish. Why? Because the natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. And so understanding that, they may have visual sight, but they lack spiritual sight. They're spiritually blind. It's not enough to have light. We have to be trained to comprehend what we're seeing. And so even when those spiritual 
cataracts are removed, we need to be in God's Word and learning and growing and recognizing that there is a biblical position on marriage and sexuality and our world is going to consider it foolish. But we're not going to make the right choices in the physical world unless we have spiritual perception. And one of the ways we'll know what really is guiding our heart is by our anxieties. Anxieties tend to reveal our priorities. And I say that because we don't worry about things that don't matter to us. You know, we, we don't worry about the weather if it doesn't affect us. Now, last week, as we were planning to have our dinner, and we, our initial plan was we'll do it outdoors, and then we're watching weather reports, and we're, you know, 100% chance of rain in the Valley of the Sun. We had to do some scrambling. And, and our staff worked and, and, and did a number of things and put in a number of hours so we could move indoors when that wasn't the original plan. But, you know, I wasn't that worried about checking weather for this week. Now, Pastor Kaup was with her outdoor wedding yesterday. And, and I'm really not that concerned about next week. But you know, if you're flying, you tend to look at what the weather is where you're going. I, I say that because what it weighs on us is based on what our priorities are. And understanding we, we don't worry about things that are not important to us. So if you were to make a list of the things that you tend to worry about, and then look at that list, are those things a priority to God? See, the passage provides for us that things should not consume us. The the things that we often focus on, what what we eat and what we drink and what we wear, and understand in that culture, it wasn't just, do I like what I eat? It was, do I have food? It was a much greater concern, but those are temporary. Life is more than the sustenance and the garments because we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And if we seek first to advance God's kingdom, His purpose, and grow in righteousness, those are God's priorities. Is it a priority to us? How can I grow in 2023 in godliness? The Bible tells us bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable in all things, both in this life and the life to come, eternity. And so... What is it that we worry about? What are our anxieties? You know, sometimes it's, it's finances. Well, God wants me to pay my bills. That's true. And we should. And the Bible speaks of that. But God is concerned about our value system. And, and are we thinking that way? Because the third thing that we see then is what you treasure determines your peace and satisfaction. In verses 25 through 34, six times believers are told, do not worry. Verse 25, do not worry about your life. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And the idea is either you can't add to your height or to the length of life. Verse 28, why do you worry about clothing? Verse 31, do not worry about your food, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Now, understanding concern, it is not worry that we plan properly. Concern is, a, is valid when it leads to proper planning. And we need to understand that. It, it is not worry to show a proper care and, and consider planning. 
I mean, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the care that he had for all the churches. What did it do? It caused him to pray, it caused him to visit, it caused him to teach. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he talks about Timothy, who, who really was like-minded. He said he's genuinely concerned for the welfare of the believers at, at Philippi. And so it's not wrong to plan and say, well, yeah, I'm just not going to worry about it. No, it, that's not what we're talking about. Our goal is not mediocrity or apathy or a nonchalant Christianity. It, it's a proper care. Proper planning is biblical. James 4.13 talks about that. If the Lord wills, we should do this and that. So we make our plans, but it's always under the umbrella of we want God's will, which then allows God to change plans. But it does become worry and sin when several things happen. Concern becomes sin when, number one, you are focused on controlling the future. How can I control tomorrow? We don't know what's going to happen, but God does. And we can trust Him. Do not worry about your life. Don't be anxious or distracted. You know, the, the word for worry, our English word, actually comes from a, a word that talks about dividing and tearing. It, it comes from a German word for strangle. And that's really what worry does. It tears at us. It chokes us. And so don't allow fears about the future to trouble us today is what the passage is telling us. It, it's sin when we become unproductive and ineffective. If, if, we, if we become lazy and, and apathetic or unproductive, we're not seeking first God's righteousness and God's purpose. A third one is when our thoughts control us rather than we controlling our thoughts. You know, if, if you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because that's really what worry is. We're meditating on things that we can't control, and we're, we're spinning and thinking that over. Well, do we meditate upon God's Word? In His law, we meditate day and night. That's the blessed person. That's the happy person. That's, that's the one who has confidence and satisfaction. When we have those cares, we take them to the Lord. And then we trust his promises. And, and, and one, one person said the Lord's disciples should not be their own tormentors. Don't allow our thoughts to torment us. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Why can I cast it on the Lord? Because he cares. And, and, and to understand that, that's why we have to know who we're putting, who we're, where we're putting our trust. You know, talk to our things about spiritual truth. A fourth one is when we neglect responsibilities and relationships. You know, and that's often what worry does. We, we get so consumed that we lose sight of others and other situations. I, I'm amazed, and if you're reading through the Bible, I think it's a couple weeks, you'll be in Genesis uh, chapter 40. I'm, I'm con constantly struck by that passage where it's talking about Joseph who had the dream that his brothers would bow down to him, his, his parents would, his brothers sell him into slavery. He's faithful as a slave in Egypt, and he's accused of attempted rape falsely, and he's cast into prison. All these things have been going wrong, and there he is in prison, and he sees two men, and he says, he, he can tell by their countenance something is wrong. 
And I'm struck by that because normally a person who's been mistreated, like Joseph was, isn't real aware of other people's problems. It's like, you think you have problems, let me tell you about my problems. And Joseph comes to them and says, what's wrong? And there's a sensitivity that really, I think, reflects that even in bad circumstances, he's still trusting God. Because why else would he then offer to interpret their dreams? He said, well, I had a dream once, and look where I am. Sure doesn't look like that's working out very well. But he was still trusting God, and God was in control. And we see that with Joseph. A fifth one is when our thoughts damage our bodies. A doctor from Johns Hopkins University commented, we don't know why it is that warriors die sooner than non-warriors, but it's a fact. Great, something else to worry about. (laughs) No, that's not the purpose of that. (laughs) Dr. E. Stanley Jones said this in considering that statement. He said, I who am of simple mind think I know. We are inwardly constructed of nerve and tissue, brain cells and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. God's created us in such a way that we have to cast our care upon Him. Because we can't control the future, but He does. We can trust Him. It's a, it becomes sin, number six, when we lose hope rather than seek answers. Do you trust your Heavenly Father? Is He your Heavenly Father? Because it begins with salvation. It begins by coming to Him and, and, and realizing that your sin has separated you from God and He sent His Son to, to die for your sins. And when you have come in childlike faith saying there's nothing I can do, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Thy cross I cling. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. If I can save him, trust Him for my salvation, I can trust Him with my life. But it begins with that salvation. Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that He loves you? Do you believe that He knows what's best for you? Then you can trust Him with the future. And that's the point of this passage. Where are we looking for our trust? So so how can we examine how we're doing? Let me just give you some application questions in conclusion this morning. Are you preoccupied with temporal concerns? You know, right value and right vision go together. The commentator pastor from many years ago, Matthew Henry, said, he that feeds his birds will surely not starve his babies. As his children, if he'll feed birds, he'll care for us. If God will provide for birds and flowers, he will certainly care for his children. Number two, do you assume responsibility for things that are beyond your control? Are are we concerned, well, what might happen? You know, there's a lot of uncertainty. But that's why we have to cast our burdens upon the Lord. Casting all your care upon Him because He cares for you. Do you believe that? Then it brings a confidence. And it's not a one-time, okay, you know, I did that at the beginning of the year. No, it may be the beginning of the day and then the middle of the day and at the end of the day and during the middle of the night. And I find many times if I wake up in the night, I need to pray. 
because my mind will start going, okay, I need to do this. I, I got to come. And it's like, you know what? Cast my burden upon the Lord. That's what I need. And I have to ask, okay, are, am I taking responsibility for things that are beyond my control? You know, are we assuming that? Number three, do you cultivate your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Do we have spiritual aspirations for this year? You know, if we're His children, then we're striving to grow in that relationship because God wants us to be like His Son. And recognizing that there's no reason to fear if we belong to Him. We're, we're immortal until God is done with us. So seek first His kingdom, His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. So are we seeking His righteousness? What are your spiritual aspirations for this year? And then finally, do you value you comfort more than Christ-likeness? Because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Are we willing to allow God to put us through some difficulties to conform us to the image of His Son? It's not that we desire that, but it is that we desire Christ-likeness. I mean, there have been times I've prayed, Lord, teach me the lesson the first time because I don't want to have to go through this again. But I want the lesson. I want to grow. Because where our treasure is, there will your heart be also. The purpose of life is, is not the things of this world, the accumulation of, of wealth, but the approval of God. Do you have that relationship with Him this morning? Are you seeking His approval? Are you living for eternity? Let's bow for prayer. Father, we...